Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be here at Calvary Baptist Church, and it's great to make memories with, uh, with our dear brothers and sisters and dear churches, and we made a new memory this morning coming in here to Mount Pleasant. I'm not sure if Brother Jamie is too uh, happy about the memory he made with our family, but um, it's definitely a way that we're going to, another way we're going to remember this dear church. Well, as uh, Kyle said, uh, my name is Keith, and I'm here with my family sitting there in the third row, Debbie, Luca, Chiara, and Sophia, and uh, they'll be out at the table there in the back if you would like to meet them a little bit more later. And uh, we're just looking forward to a great morning together. Already had some wonderful time um, in the morning service and uh, in the ABF time, and I'm just looking forward to sharing about what the Lord has put on my heart with regards to the passage we'll be looking at. So if you would go ahead and turn to Acts 13, that's going to be our anchor passage for this morning. We're going to make some uh, uh, observations and some applications from it. So in Acts 13, we're going to be reading the first three verses, and then just the first verse, first phrase of uh, verse 4. Acts 13, 1, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went. This is God's word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning that you have set aside for us to open your word, to worship you. And Lord, we don't take it for granted. What a wonderful privilege to be a part of this gathering where the people of God in the 21st century, in a long line of Christians and martyrs and missionaries, we find our place. And we joyously fulfill our call this morning of worshiping you, receiving the word, seeking to obey it. And Lord, we are so thankful for your church, for your bride, which you have died to save. Lord, I pray that this morning as we open your word and seek your wisdom, I pray that you would bless us. We realize that without the presence and power of the Holy Spirit uh, activating your word, we can't expect anything, and that's why we admit our dependence upon you and ask you to apply that which is said. I pray for him who speaks and for those who listen that we might be uh, faithful to carry out our duty. In Jesus' name, amen. The main thought that I'd like to leave with you this morning as we look at this passage is this. When Christ Jesus conquers your life, sooner or later your answer will be missions. When Christ Jesus becomes real to you, more than a doctrine, more than a thought, more than an abstraction, when He becomes what He really is, Savior, God Almighty, sooner or later your answer will be, your response will have to be missions. I'd like to tell you about a few men. There's other women like them, but start with a man by the name of David Brainerd. Many of you know him. 
If you don't, I'd encourage you to get to know him. He's not alive, but you can read about him. Well, he was 25 when he was overtaken with an obsession. An obsession that, for all he tried, he couldn't lay down. He was taken over by a burden for the Indian tribes in what is now New England. And he left uh, his wealthy family, his wealthy life, to live in a wigwam to be near to them. If you read his biography, you'll get the image of David Brainerd. He uh, was overtaken with tuberculosis very early on. And the image you get of this man is that of a gladiator who's not wrestling against other men or other human beings, but he's wrestling in prayer. And if you can see him in your mind's eye, he's spitting out blood. And he's praying on the snow outside of his wigwam, and as the night goes on, he starts to, to, to sweat his way through the ice and through the snow until he's hit the ground. And this is what he says in his biography. He says, he prayed with such agony on his knees that when he got up again, he was weak. He could hardly log. He says, my joints were dislodged. Notwithstanding the cold, sweat covered my forehead. They, he died at 30. Another man I'd like to introduce you to, if you don't already know him, is a man by the name of David Livingston, famous missionary, one of the most important figures not only in missions, but in Western culture. And when his body was returned to England, just to tell you how famous he was, he was buried in Westminster Chapel in London. That's right where the royal family gets married. But today, hardly anybody remembers David Livingston. In fact, the person visited Westminster Abbey in London. He wanted to see the tomb of David Livingston. And so he asked the guide where this famous person was buried. And the guide looked kind of shocked and said, Huh, David Livingston? Not a name I'm familiar with. And this man almost fell to the ground. David Livingston. You don't know David Livingston. You're the guide of this place. Well, the guy took out the guidebook and said, how about that? He's buried right in the nave of the cathedral. You know what the nave is? It's the center. It's the most important place in the whole cathedral. It's where the royal family has to walk over to get to the altar. That's where David Livingston is buried. And yet nobody knows. What a life of sacrifice these men lived. What a life of consecration. And many would say, for what? Nobody even knows who they are anymore. Nobody can even remember their names anymore. Some would say, outside the church, hopefully not in the church, what a waste. What a waste of life. Those talents could have been used for something much more honorable. Well, not for these men. Why? Because when Jesus Christ takes over your life, sooner or later, your answer will be missions. Missions. Now, if you live for the things of this world, for that which is passing, for that which is temporary, for that which is dust, well, it'll be hard for you to have ears to hear the cries of those like the man in Macedonia crying out, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over and give us the gospel. If you live for the things of this world, the idea of missions, of abandoning your own life, 
abandoning everything for the gods of the gospel, well, it's pretty much the most foolish idea that could cross your mind. The cry of those whom Paul heard won't penetrate your conscience. But on the other hand, and I know this church is full of people like this this morning, if on the other hand, if Jesus and what he loves, the lost, is the most important thing to you, then there will be nothing more fascinating, nothing more beautiful, nothing more wonderful, nothing more desirable than the idea of pouring your own life out for missions and for the lost. If Christ Jesus and the salvation he has granted to you means something to you, then the fact that Jesus is not known the fact that he is not recognized as the great, the majestic, the fascinating, your friend, your savior, the fact that he is not known and loved, pains you. It'll keep you up at night sometimes. And, and you'll find yourself praying in the middle of the night for the people of Burundi. Because you want them to come to know Christ. That is if Christ means something for you. Well, the Apostle Paul wasn't able to stop the deluge of his love for Christ, and therefore, at a certain time in his life, he said, I have to go. I have to go. If we were to look in detail at Paul's conversion, we would see from a later recounting of it in Acts 22, that from the moment he came to know Jesus, there was one question that hounded him, and that was, what would you have me to do? In Acts 22, verse 10, he, we, we read about him saying, What shall I do, Lord? What shall I do? That was the question that hounded him. And he wasn't able to answer it until finally, in Acts 13, he gave himself up to missions. And if you truly love the Lord, sooner or later, your response will be missions. Either going or giving, or praying, or something of that nature. Does the word not say that out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks? So what will come out is Jesus, the gospel, that which has changed you, that which is the most beautiful thing to you. You won't be satisfied with the fact that your neighbors don't know Christ, you won't be satisfied with the thought that your co-workers are hell-bound for an eternity, separated from God. You won't be satisfied by the fact that you're not serving Christ till you are serving his, Him as you should. Well, in Acts 13, we read about the Apostle Paul. He's in the church at Antioch. It's a church like this one. I imagine it, and there's people there that we have in our churches, they were in the church at Antioch, prophets, we would call them preachers and teachers, we know what that is, and um, it perhaps is a Sunday, it probably is a Sunday, they're having a church service like we have, and they'd separated, we read in the passage that they had separated the day to pray and to fast, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, it says, so we would conclude that they're maybe singing. Maybe they're listening to a sermon. 
like you're doing today. And while they're ministering, it says that something happened. Something happened. Now, we don't know exactly what happened. I love reading about revival stories. And you read about things similar to what you read in this passage. It says the Holy Spirit said, and in the revival stories you read about churches being overtaken with the burden of the presence of God. And you read about people feeling the presence of God closer than their skin. And they, and they feel as if the whole world, the whole present reality melts like a piece of ice around them. Well, something like that happened to Paul and Barnabas. Every distraction, every attraction seemed like a complete waste of time in comparison to the things of God. The latest sports results. What's going on on social media? Politics. It was all a big heap of nothing. Why? Because the presence of God was felt. And it's as if they heard the very voice of God that said, you have to do something for me. You. Not somebody else. Now. Not at another time. You, Paul, you, Barnabas, have to do something for me. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? Pastor Kyle will be getting into it in the next weeks. This gave way to a life of prison, sleepless nights, fasting, sacrifice, Travels through rivers, persecutions from friends and people in power. And notwithstanding all that, the Apostle Paul, at the end of his career, 2 Timothy, he says with satisfaction in his voice, can't you sense it when he says, I've run my race. I finished what I was called to do. I don't know if it's going too far to say that something similar happened to me. It's too audacious, please grant me some grace, but I was born in Spain. Parents are missionaries there, going on 40 years. I was born in the church, if I could put it that way. And um, sometimes we know how it is with young people that are born and raised in the church. Well, they can kind of come to a crisis point in their lives. And I came to that crisis point. I started to distance myself from my parents' belief. Ah, it's not for me, I said. It's not for me, Christianity, the Bible. Got kind of bored with it, you know. Heard it all my life. So I pursued my own path. And uh, this took me to various places. Uh, pursued a career in hotel management. Nothing wrong with hotel management by any means. But if you're running away from the Lord, well, there's a lot wrong with it. So I decided to enroll in hotel management. And this took me to different places. And... I'd like to pause here and just remind the younger ones among us this morning, maybe some of the older ones too. I left the Lord, I left the church, I left the fold to go out into the world. Let me tell you something, there's nothing out there. There is nothing out there. I said this at a church we were at a while back and somebody came up to me after the service and said, Keith, don't say there's nothing out there. There's a whole lot out there. Pain disillusionment, trouble, anxiety. The world can't hold a candle to a life lived for Christ. That's all there is to it. And if you haven't discovered that yet, I hope, sincerely hope that you do. Well, the school took me to different places, Florida, Spain, Germany. Then I got to Switzerland. 
I was into snowboarding at the time. Hotel management was my part-time activity. I could squeeze it in between snowboarding sessions. But I remember as, it, as if it was yesterday, but it's already almost 20 years now since this happened. I was at the top of a mountain, and God was eroding the obstacles in my life. And he'd been working on me for some time, but there was one thought that really stopped me in my tracks from submitting my life to him. And that was that I had in the back of my mind the idea that if I said yes to God and to following him, he would ask me to do. That's right, you guessed it. The only thing I was not willing to do, be a missionary. No, thank you. See, my dad do that. I've seen others do that. I've seen people come to Spain and be chewed up, spit out. Much better men than me. But it was at the top of this mountain that the Lord broke through, and it's as if I could sense the physical world kind of melting around me and the weight of eternity pressing against me. And this thought crossed my mind, who am I to say no to God? Who in the world is this speck of dust to say no to Almighty God. It's ridiculous. I'll go wherever you want. I'll do whatever you want. And that led me on a journey to do the most unthinkable thing, to be a missionary. A missionary. I thought I was giving it all up. My plans, my dreams, my hotel management career, my pipe dreams... Let me remind you of something. This book is true. And what Jesus says in it is true. Whoever loses his sake, his life for my sake, will gain it. And it's hard for us, right? When we look back at things now and I didn't lose anything <laughs> when I gave up that pipe dream. But to some outside observer, it might seem like I was, giving up hotel management dream for something else. But it is true that you have to experience a type of death to yourself, a type of death to vanity and the nothingness of this world. And when you do that, you find life. You find Christ. Well, it's true, at that minute, moment my ambitions died, hotel management, what I wanted to achieve. The paradox of the Christian life is that I found life. Paul says at some point, for me to live is Christ. For me to live, have you meditated on that? And have you asked yourself that recently? I was at a church up in Switzerland talking to some pastors. They were kind of discouraged. A mega church had opened not far from them, and there was a big church for Zurich's standards, and I remember they were sad because two young people had left their church to go to a bigger church. And I said to these two dear brothers, I said, those two people don't need a mega church with all the lights and whistles. They need to go two weeks into the woods and ask themselves, does God really mean anything to me anymore? Does God mean anything to me well, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. And we know after this passage in Acts 13, 
They set off for their greatest adventure. And what did they find? Well, we don't want to elude ourselves. Just a few comments on what they found and what you will find too when you embark on a life of mission. Whether that be across the ocean or across the street or across the aisle. First of all, it's not easy. It's not easy. I'm not trying to lie to anybody. Becoming a missionary is not easy. Just like it's not easy to live for Christ. It wasn't easy for Paul to encounter Elimus, the musician, or to have to confront him. It wasn't easy for Paul to live eight years in Tarsus in complete anonymity. But I always like to put this question to myself when I get a bit whiny. Is there a single thing in life worth doing that's easy? Is there a single thing in life worth doing? You could do a ton of things. You can waste your time in a ton of things. But isn't it true that we want something worth doing? Worth doing. We want a nut that is tough to crack. We want to go somewhere where we have to pray and cry and sweat over one convert. And then when we see that person gain for the gospel, say, oh my God is powerful. It's not easy. What uh, in your life has given you more satisfaction than getting through that hard experience? Missions isn't easy. Going isn't easy. Praying isn't easy. Giving has a high price tag. I was amazed how God has set this up. Us missionaries sent out, we live on the generosity of God's people. It never ceases to amaze me. People could be investing their money in all sorts of things. They could get to the end of the month with a little bit more in their pockets, and yet they choose to give to families like ours. It's amazing. It's not easy. It takes a sacrifice. It's not easy, but it's possible. Let me remind you of that. It's possible. During the initial days of the church, the disciples, remember, were creating havoc in Jerusalem, and a wise man got up in the middle of the assembly, and in Acts 5, it says, if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. It'll just dissipate. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it you'll find yourself fighting against God himself. Oh, man. It's possible. Now we look at some downward trends in our society. We look at some downward directions in our country. And we get discouraged. But let us never stop believing in the impossible. Let us never stop believing that our God is able to change the direction of things of our schools and of our families and of our country, of our churches. If God is in this, no power in heaven, on earth, or in hell can stop it. Now we may see it, we may not. Maybe we'll be the sowers and the next generation will be the reapers, but one thing is for certain, we're going to go to our graves believing in the impossible, are we not? We're going to die believing that my God can save the Italians. 
If he's in it, he will do it. Nothing will stop it. We got to Rozzano, outskirts of Milan. About 11 years ago, we didn't know anybody. That was the biggest fight that we had, believing that God could do something. He had to create a church out of nothing, ex nihilo, speak a church into existence where there was nothing there. And there were days where we had to tear, tear our own souls up and say, I'm going to believe in God. Year one, I'm going to believe in God. Year two, I'm going to keep believing in God. Year three, believing in God. Four, believe in God. And God was in it. And he did something. Is it not true that our greatest battle is the battle for faith? To believe. Someone once said that the church of the 21st century is the most educated group of unbelieving believers might be harsh, but we want to be people of faith, that believe in God. Well, not only is it not easy, it's possible, it's extremely satisfying. It was wonderful when we got to see Marina come to Christ. I told her story this morning, and to be a part of seeing someone snatched from the flames, maybe the first in her whole family lineage. I want to just say a few more things about this mission that we're called to, ending with four questions for us to think about. Number one, are you doing all that you can for the lost? Are you doing all that you can for the lost? There's a world of lost people out there. And uh, I know that many of you know it. I know that this church knows it. Because you're a missionary sending and a missionary supporting church. Praise God for missionary sending, missionary supporting churches like Calvary Baptist. But what about individually? Are there some among us that have lost sight of this fact? If I were speaking to the 21st century church at large, I would ask the 21st century church, is there still a 21st century church that knows that there is a lost world out there? Do we have a vision for man in his ruined state of sin? Do we see him with compassion? A noble creature with faculties and skills that has fallen so far, a victim to his own folly, ignorance, despair. And most importantly, do we see man separated from God, under the wrath of God, the countdown to his day of doom, is ticking. And we are in the 11th hour when they will have no more opportunities. Are you doing all that you can for the lost? And brothers and sisters, where will the lost world go for the only solution? Where will the lost world go to find out about the provision that has been made for their sin-sick condition? We have the gospel. The church knows that the provision has been made through which man can be saved. Jesus Christ has been put forward as an, a sacrifice so that whoever will receive Him in faith will have their sins forgiven and an eternity with God guaranteed. 
provision. We know about it. Or maybe there's someone this morning who has not made good on that provision. Maybe someone among us has been a faithful church goer. Wonderful, wonderful thing to be a faithful church goer. Maybe someone here has been raised in a Christian atmosphere their whole lives, but they've never, ever been converted. Won't you make today the day in which you make that provision yours, the provision for your sins? Are you doing all that you can for the lost? Are you doing all that you can for Christ? What does Christ deserve for his sacrifice for men? What does Christ deserve for his infinite love for men? He left everything for you and for me. And I love to meditate on this thought. He didn't have to. He did not need to. There was no external compulsion to leave his infinite glory to come to this world of hatred and sin and violence. Nobody forced his hand. Nobody manipulated him into coming. He came because he loved you. What does he deserve for that? He came, and now you're saved. You're saved. You have heaven in your heart, heaven in your future. He deserves everything, does he not? All the glory in heaven and on earth. Where would you be without him today? What would your condition be? What would your plight be without Christ? And doesn't that thought make you want to do all that you can to extend his fame, to extend his name? You want your neighbors to know about him. You want Europeans, Africans, every tongue, tribe, nation to know about your and their wonderful Savior. Can you do something more to acquire fame for him? Number three, are you doing all you can with all that you have? What do you have? Time? Money? A will to go? Has anybody ever put the question to you, why don't you go? Why don't you go into foreign missions? This church would love to send you into missions. Maybe what we're talking about is more like going across the street. I want to make an important point when we think about this. Are you doing all that you can with all that you have? It's not about morbid guilt. You know your time. You know your resources. You know your budget. You know your abilities. We're not talking about doing something irrational uh, and putting ourselves into some kind of trouble. That's not what we're talking about. It's about allowing ourselves to be inspired to something greater, to investing our lives into something more honorable, something more lasting, eternity. You're such a generous church. So thankful for Calvary, for your generosity towards us. It's not about making us feel guilty this morning. I hope I'm not giving the wrong impression. That's not what it's about at all. It's about asking ourselves, individually, if we're doing what we can with what we have. I love the story in Luke 19 where Jesus 
He's about to enter Jerusalem. It's his last week, and he asks the disciples to go to the next town over and get a donkey for him to ride on. And the disciples say, what should we say if somebody in the village asks us why we need it? And Jesus responds, you shall say, because the Lord needs it. Lord needs. It always amazed me that the Lord Jesus would say he needs the donkey. <laughs> Does the Lord need anything? Does the Lord need for us to pool our resources and, and to use our skills and gifts? Well, in an absolute sense, the answer is no. It doesn't need me. It doesn't need any of us. But the answer to his needing us is this. The Lord condescends. The Lord brings himself low. He brings himself low to the point of working through instruments, through means, through channels. And who are those instruments? It's us. It's you. And it's me. And we get to partner with him in this wonderful design of serving him. Lastly, last question of reflection. Are you doing all that you can knowing whom you're doing it with? And all this is an important point because it puts a square center into the context and the atmosphere of grace. Because I don't want to give the wrong impression that we need to do something to acquire merit before God or to gain brownie points with God. We are already squarely in His love on account of Jesus Christ. No one can change that. No one can take away your salvation. No one can do anything to add to your salvation. You are perfectly and infinitely saved. So it's not about doing all that we can to gain something before this God that is a tyrant. No, no, no. The question is phrased in a different way. Are we doing all that we can knowing whom we're doing it with? Because grace tells us that we're already on His side. I love to ponder this point. Remember when Paul was at the end of his missionary career in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17? We read about this. Try to picture Paul he calls it in the lion's den or at the mouth of the lion. He says, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. And then listen to the wonderful missions application. So that through me the message might fully be proclaimed and all the nations might Hear it. Now was delivered from the lion's mouth. Now, if you would have seen Paul at that tribunal, some think it was in front of Nero himself, Paul would have seemed to have been all alone. He says here, everyone deserted me. Now, that was what you would have seen if you were looking with the carnal eye, because Paul goes on to say, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. You know that sometimes God is going to call you to something difficult. You may think you're all alone. It's hard. There's no brother, there's no sister, there's no family member. I'm called to do this. 
and you feel so alone, oh, we may not forget that we're not alone. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. We look back, I'm sure you do too. I look around this congregation and there's some folks that have been around the block a few times. You've been through some valleys and you've been over some mountaintops. And when you look back, you look through some hard times and you say, man, I was lonely. But the Lord was with me. He walked beside me. He gave me strength. And doesn't that encourage us for that next thing that God is calling us to, that next level of consecration maybe or reorganizing of our priorities? Doesn't it encourage us to say that next thing that I'm called to, I know Christ will be with me. Just like he was that other time. Just like he was with Paul. Why? For what purpose? Well, ultimately, Paul says, so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Are you doing all that you can, knowing whom you're doing it with? What a joy. One of the things the Lord has impressed on my heart in these last weeks and months is my desire to have a joyful ministry, to, to exude joy in what I do, to exude satisfaction. And that only comes when you know who you're doing it with, that it's not all on your shoulders that He does the heavy lifting and that we, in a way, just show up. <laughs> Let Him do it all. For Whatever you're going through right now, know this, He will do the heavy lifting if you let Him. Our problem many times isn't that we're not good enough, it's that we're too good. We're too capable. And we, we get in the way, we get in God's way, so to speak, when we just need to move to the side and let Him unleash His power. Are we doing all that we can, knowing whom we're doing it with? Let me just finish with this quotation, which may or may not apply to you, but I know it inspires me when I consider it. The day is short. Oh, it's so short. The work is great. The workers are absent. Are they? The reward is great, and the master of the house presses. Will you... Will we answer the call? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the examples of those that have gone before us. And Lord, it inspires us to want to take up the mantle in our own, in our own way. And Lord, I want to start off thanking you for this church Thank you for their faithfulness and for their staying on the gospel. Oh, what a wonderful thing that is. In a day and age in which so many apostatize, in a day and age when so many grow cold, you have a faithful remnant, a faithful people here in Mount Pleasant. And oh God, how it inspires my heart to see a group, a good number of people too, that come to worship you and to love you. And Lord, I thank you for their desire to continue to be a light for you in the darkness. And yes, Lord, we have questions and doubts about the future, 
this country, the world, the European Union, all these things, you know that we think about them. But Lord, what a great thing it is to think about the fact that whatever we are called to in this next generation, you will not only be with us, but you go before us, opening a way, paving a path. And Lord, we trust you. We believe in you. We believe in you for our kids. We believe in you for our young people. We believe in you for our churches and our seminaries and for those next pastors that you will be calling to those positions of service. And we thank you for having given us that faith. Lord, continue to bless us, continue to use us in the small way that you might see fit. And we will seek to do our duty in Jesus' name. Amen.